Hi, Ash. It's been yet another uh, two weeks. Uh, we're we're doing this for the fourth time, and we're making it a thing to talk about it each time. <laughs> That's right. Hi, Carrie. Uh, yeah, I, I sent you a message this last week that uh, Overcast now knows us as being on a cadence of every two weeks, whereas before Yay! we were noted as infrequent, and rightly so, because we, our cadence was every two years. Uh, so <laughs> we've improved dr- drastically, and I think that's still worth talking about. So congratulations <laughs> to us both. That reminds me, when you brought that up, I had I it, it raised an interesting question in my head. How far back does Overcast look when it determines this this particular frequency? Because it can't be very far, or it's not weighted, or or it must be weighted in some way because that two year Marvel style blip on an, would ruin the curve. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm not gonna poke at it too hard because we we won the lottery on that one. So yeah, apparently it it, it forgets and forgives very quickly, and uh, to our advantage. So onward and <laughs> <take> upward. <laughs> yeah, we'll take it. Um, awesome. Well, um, I had a few things to chat about from the uh, shell and terminal perspective since we had been chatting about that um, most recently. Um, and so um, you actually sent one of these to me, and then we had talked about fig. Um, in the past. So um, you sent the warp uh, term, uh, warp terminal to me and I, I installed that and started playing around with it. And I realized right off the bat, um, it's a really cool terminal. Like I like the visual aesthetics of it. I like some of the, 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 the capabilities that it has, like multiple cursor support. So like making you feel like you have a little bit more of an IDE rather than a, 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 a input buffer that you have to understand how to how to work especially if you've got a long command or something like that and so i was playing around with it and but i immediately ran into my first roadblock because our previous podcast had been about z shell and prompts and we had at least i had installed um spaceship and really enjoying that one so far i'm still trying to figure I yeah, guess I'll ahead. just interject there, interject for a second. So like Spaceship, right? You installed Spaceship. For people that aren't hanging on our every word, Spaceship yes. is like its own sort of like Z-shell prompt environment that gives you some like extensibility and configurability and async style. Uh, we have a whole episode, half of which is devoted to that from last week or two weeks ago. But anyways, just thought I'd throw that in there. Yes. So I love, I love in our developer jargon, sometimes you get into like, you can say sentences like, I installed Spaceship. <laughs> and what does that actually mean? Right. Um, do I actually have a spaceship out in my backyard? And how? Uh, I mean, that would be cool. But um, no. Uh, so thank you for interjecting that. Um, but uh, I had installed that, and I've been enjoying that. And um, the catch is, is that warp dot dev uh, the the terminal um, apparently is not fully compatible. Uh, so you, you get it and it looks like it works and it even looks like the prompt renders and it does its asynchronous thing. So it's nice and fast if I'm in a directory that has a lot of Git history or what have you. And it looks great until you go to run a command. And I ran a command and all of a sudden Z shell came back saying, I don't know how to run this, this particular command. And I could tell it was pulling parts out of the prompt that spaceship builds and trying to execute those. So oh. it would be trying to execute the time and the battery indicator <laughs> as, as, as a Z-shell script. And so thankfully there was nothing like it could that it could actually execute. That could be really, really horrible. I don't know why you would put that in your own prompt. Um, but that kind of stymied me a little bit. It's like, okay, well, how do I, you know, do I, can I just turn it off for just warp because I rather like it elsewhere and warp does. I mean, that's part of the selling points about warp is it has a nice prompt already. 
So um, if you go on to warp.dev's website and in their documentation, you have to scroll a little bit to find it, but there's a section called prompts. And there is a way that you can configure your uh, Z shell profile to disable uh, spaceship while warp is running, which then gets you back into full warp functionality, which is nice. Um, and it's literally like um, a couple lines in your uh, Z shell RC file. And um, the instructions there are pretty easy, but there's nothing that specifically on warp.dev says, oh, for spaceship users do this. Um, mm. So if anyone runs into the same problem, the only thing that I had to uncomment out is there's a line in um, the Z shell RC file let me make sure that I have it uh, handy. Um, there's a line in there when you do the install where you set your Z shell theme to spaceship. And uh, there's a piece of code on warp.dev that says, it, uh, that gives you some bash uh, commands if term program is not equal to warp terminal. And you can put all your stuff in there that you don't that you want to run if it's not inside of warp. And all I had to do was put the Z shell theme statement in there. So one line of code, do that, save it, reload warp. And warp works perfectly at that point. Um, I can actually run commands. I can CD into directories because that was like my first thing I tried to do. Like anytime I'm in a prompt, it's like I'm or a shell, I'm going to another directory location and you couldn't even CD. So like it was stuck <laughs> in uh, my home directory. You couldn't run code. You couldn't get into any other locations and adding that little exclusion for warp uh, seems to make it work. Now, interestingly, um, Spaceship, um, the other version of the prompt that doesn't have asynchrony that Spaceship is based on does seem to work with Warp. So if you like a lot of customization, that is possible. Um, so worth a heads up, uh, since you sent me the warp.dev link, if you do try it and you have Spaceship installed, you might want to um, tweak your Z shell RC file just a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's really cool that you went that far because I'm I'm not sure. I, I've been playing around with enough CLIs this weekend that I, I've noticed at some point I'm just like, ah, never mind. I'll, I'll get <laughs> at some point I'm going down a rabbit hole of trying to configure things or whatever it might be. It's I, I I'll maybe we'll get into this later. I had to install Java on my Mac, uh, which was I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was sorry too. I tried to avoid it, and then I was like, yeah, this is the wrong one to avoid. But I think in this case, I, I might thrown in the towel and like i said i i still use the default mac os terminal and uh knowing that that's never been the cool one for a lot of folks but i am always interested in these other terminals as they pop up but maybe not so interested that i might have uh kind of dug in that far but it sounds like the fix like you were saying right so you're you were saying like you're opening up like a bash config or in this case probably like a, a z shell rc file mm -hmm. and it's checking to see what your terminal application is and if it's if it's running in this case warp, uh, then it'll just I guess it sounds like it turns off spaceship. Yeah, it just skips it. And what what I think is interesting about spaceship, and I don't know exactly why it's this way. Um, like in some ways, I would have almost expected it to just be a plugin that I could um, that was in the plugins list, but it calls itself a theme. And so there's this Z shell theme environment variable that you can set. And if you set it to spaceship, that loads all of the spaceship's prompts. And I wasn't 100% sure if there was some other magic going on in all this, that maybe there were other bits of Z shell spaceship hanging around. But it seems to be sufficient just to say, hey, if I'm running in warp, don't run this little line of code. And that seems to make it make it happy. 
Um, which is nice to see because I, I really want to dig into warp some more because it has some interest, interesting capabilities like um, being able to suggest commands to run based upon some English text or non non bash command text, basically. So um, I think there's a lot of p potential there. Um, but if you can't actually run any command, that kind of blocks it. Yeah, and also don't put rimraf or anything like that in your prompt. I guess <laughs> not that, not <laughs> exactly. That, not that you would, but like you wouldn't want like somehow this sort of to start executing part of your poorly named prompt and then like delete <laughs> lots of things you don't want deleted on on your disk. Yes, that was literally one of the first things that occurred to me. Is like when I saw it, is like, well, maybe I first the first time I thought, well maybe I did something wrong and I installed it wrong and correctly. Um, and then the second time I was like, Oh, Oh, it's executing things from my prompt. Did it do anything crazy and that I'm going to regret? And thankfully it's just numbers and battery indicator, but I could imagine like maybe if you have something set up to where you have an alias um, that takes you to a certain directory or what have you, it, you might potentially wonder why, why am I put over here every time I try to run a command? Um, so it is worth paying attention to a little bit. <laughs> and it would it would be interesting to know why this was happening at all. I mean, I'm sure that this was just like two different sort of shell environment, terminal environment mm -hmm. systems. I wouldn't you wouldn't call it a racing condition, I suppose, but they're both trying to like drink from the same fire hose and then like yeah. one of them is usurping the other or m moving a little faster than the other and then unexpected behavior happens and um yeah, in the terminal that's probably the last place that you want unexpected behavior to happen. <laughs> it's a little freaky, um, but thankfully um, you you can turn it off. And for most people, you know, if if you're not terribly invested in in customizing your prompt, Warp just does the right thing and and puts its own prompt there instead. Um, but just in case you are really um, in willing to dig into your prompt, like some of us. Um, and you can debate whether or not that's a good idea or if that's a rabbit trail one should avoid. Um, it's worth keeping in mind that customized terminals like warp might, uh, might not always behave properly when it sees a very custom prompt there. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Yeah, really um, cool. And just, about, I think one thing that we didn't really note straight uh, at the top, but I think it should be obvious from the context, but warp, right? If you go to warp.dev, which is their website, it's a it's another terminal application. Uh, mm -hmm. So you know, like uh, amongst the popular ones that I've seen over time have been well, basically, I've seen two. There's either the default Mac OS one uh, on a Mac or uh, iTerm two, and it's mm -hmm. been iTerm two forever. I, I don't know what the story is there. I've just I've never been a user, but I have seen other ones pop up from time to time. I, I recall, I feel like I might have shared this with you even like years ago. But there was there was one that was like an electron terminal hyper. or hyper. That's right. You were using it for a while, weren't you? I was. And yeah. it's still around. And um, I just installed it on my M1 Mac and it works perfectly fine. Um, so yeah, it's still going. Okay. And so uh, Warp, on the other hand, is a terminal written in Rust. Mm -hmm. And they build themselves as the terminal for the 21st century. I think a few things that they they call out um, being written in Rust, of course, I think you, know, you can imagine the first thing they're going to call it is that they're fast. Um, and then they talk about being backwards compatible, but with the you know shells like um, Z shell, Fish, and Bash. Um, and they tout a number of different features, including, I think you mentioned one earlier that was like you can get multiple cursors on the command line, which is really neat, cool. Really cool. 
And then um, there's an AI command search powered by GPT-3. And I, I feel like this is just going to be a theme forever now is like <laughs> all of the AI things that yes. are now super powering, like even like little interactions in our you know, sort of like developer lifecycle. Even even if you're in the terminal now, you're you're getting not only these autocompletes. Like for example, uh, we've we've talked briefly about a tool called uh, in the past uh, Fig CLI, mm-hmm. and I know from you know I'm not sure everything that's going on under under the hood there by any stretch of the imagination, but some of their autocompletes are uh, they're essentially based on like large JavaScript objects that you can like you can say for example. Um, at Nihilus, we we actually, one of our developer advocates worked with them to take our CLI and they had a tool that you could run over your CLI and it would spit out a JSON object. That oh, that's cool. Then, yeah, exactly. And then, so that goes up, I believe, as part of their open source repo and it gets baked in to um, the, their CLI as autocompletes. So that's really cool. Um, and at the same time, it seems like um, in addition to these sort of like human, like a human is driving a bot to export a file that then turns into autocompletes. Now there's also some AI magic going on under the hood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I thought was really cool, at least with the warp um, version of the AI one, um, like fig has this version too, that they just recently announced and they, and at, when you install fig, it actually has a dashboard that encourages you to try it. The only downside is you need to be on a paid pro plan for fig in order to use it which fine. I mean, they're doing a lot of great work. If you, if, if you use fig and enjoy it, certainly one should contribute um, to the continuance of that. Um, But uh, the warp version doesn't require any pro plan. Maybe it will in the future, who knows? Um, So I was just curious, like what would it give me back uh, for, for various prompts? Um, and like the example they have on the website is like, oh, delete git branch. And then it returns this particular, uh, git command. And my particular queries were nothing groundbreaking. Um, but like one of the first things, because I don't know, I, in my past life, um, one of the big things I've had to do a lot of is going over a lot of files in, 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 in a directory tree based upon their file type or based on something that's in them and then go do something based with, with those results. And so like f- things about finding files that match certain criteria are just what comes to my mind by default. Um, and so I asked it, okay, can you find all the ping files in the current working directory? And it gave me the typical find command that you would expect. And it's like, okay, I could run that on my, my machine and I'd be totally fine with it. Um, but I thought was what was interesting is um, I started to, to press on that a little bit. And it's like, okay, give me a list of all the JavaScript files that contain a reference to, say, a certain class. Um, and it got the class name. And it had find piped to grep to, to try and pull all this stuff out. The only thing I couldn't convince it to do, and so there must be some prompt engineering that one has to do, is to understand the concept of JavaScript file, meaning find all the star.js files and pipe those in. Um, it got as close to star.js, but it didn't have the dot in there. Um, so oh. it feels like um, there must be some level of, like I don't know if it was trained on that kind of specificity or maybe I'm just asking a really weird thing. Um, 
but or if there's like prompt engineering that you have to do because there's that's the whole thing with like dolly like all of these prompt engineers saying here's how you tweak it to get it to get it to what you want um but it was still really cool that it what it didn't just go and run it like i would never trust it just to say hey go do whatever i told you to do and and not ask me permission it would just spit it out and say here's what i think you might want to do and then you could say run this command so you always had a step in advance before it did something that you didn't want it to do um but even that is really cool because if i can just simplify some things like working with git because i'm horrible when it comes to working with the git cli um <laughs> that that seems immensely valuable as long as you can check the result and make sure that yeah this is really what i intended you to do yeah that's i think having that little step in between is really important and you know it i i think through as well um the more i've been using copilot over the last uh say month or so um it's it's interesting because there's always like a little bit of something here that you have to pay attention to and i i was kind of just going through and um filling out like an express router um, mm-hmm. actually earlier today. And just, you know, it's one of those things where you import the router from Express, instantiate a new router, and then you start creating like, you know, like your get your get route and all of that kind of thing. And it would get basically all of it correct, like without me having to do much of anything, except for like on the, you, you imagine, right? So you have like the router dot get, and then mm-hmm. that's a function. And maybe you're going to say, okay, you just put in a forward slash, which means as soon as someone hits wherever you happen to be at this particular path. Right. And then it, you, the second argument is a function, right? So you've got the rec resnex kind of standard thing. Inside of that is going to be like what this path actually, what this route actually does. So in this case, it was just going to, I think it, it just auto-completed a, a hello world, which was nice and handy. So it's just res.send, hello API, and then you're, and then you're done. Mm-hmm. The thing was that it didn't, in no time did I do that today where it ever fully completed the JavaScript syntax on the other side of that. And there may be, I haven't thought through this yet, but it would always, it would close out the curly brackets for that anonymous function as the second argument, but then it wouldn't give you the closed parentheses <laughs> or the semicolon. And the semicolon, of course, is optional. Right. Um, not in my opinion, but uh, it is optional in JavaScript. So, uh, but either way, that that close parentheses that says, "Okay, that router dot get call is finished." I mean, this is these are the arguments kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that that's obviously important. And so the next step down was going to be my export statement, and I'm getting all these weird errors about. I was expecting a comma or something. And right? I'm like, what do you mean a comma after my export? Why would I it, ever need this here? That yeah. doesn't make any sense. And then of course, what it meant was it thought that I was trying to pass more uh, parameters or, mm-hmm. you know, to, to the get the router dot get call. Um, and that's one of those interesting things where in a world before a month ago, that's not a mistake I would make. It just isn't like there's plenty of right. others, plenty of other <laughs> mistakes I'll make when I'm coding, but that is not one of them. So uh, this was a, this was one of those things where suddenly like, you know, I probably spent a good minute really scratching my head going, I've not seen this error before. This isn't particularly <laughs> helpful. I know that we don't put commas in export statements. So what are you telling me node? And it was just a, you know, um, for whatever reason, Copilot didn't totally complete the syntactical thought. It didn't close out, you know, those those parentheses. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, you know, coming back to your point a second ago about like star dot JS versus star JS. I mean, mm-hmm. there's like these, in some ways, 
we find ourselves in a place at the code level where now our jobs in some ways there's there's a lot of easier things that can be done easier or faster or whatever you want to say right mm-hmm. but in some ways now we're getting the hard part of the the pair programming job where it's like now you have to be vigilant and make <laughs> sure that all t's are crossed and all i's are dot dotted right and if you don't then well you know maybe it just doesn't work and that's fine because then you go troubleshoot. But worst case is you're like in the command line or somewhere else and something crazy happens. Uh, so you really have to be suddenly much more vigilant. You can't totally take your hands off the wheel. Yeah. And I think that's, that's there, there, there's a couple of interesting things out of there because like, um, I, I don't know about you, but in my, my node life, when I am dealing with lots of installing, like lots of NPM packages and, getting Webpack and everything else configured for a React app or what have you. Um, there, there's a part of that process where my brain turns off and says, this is going to spew error after error, after warning, after warning. It's fine. Let it go do its thing and it will still work um, due to whatever is going on with um, package versions and everything like that. Um, I think there's that risk of, oh, 99% of the time it gives you the right thing. And then there's that, oh, in this other context, I have to be really vigilant about what it returns. Am I okay with it just going and executing it? And I actually kind of had an interesting thought um, uh, from uh, closer to the tail end of when uh, last week, where um, you could imagine this world where computers are getting so much better at understanding speech, all of the assistants that shall not be named being able to go and query wikipedia on our behalf and and play music and things like that like it's it wouldn't be that that difficult to say oh wrap this up to warp.devs ai or figs ai and ask the computer to do um you know uh commit this file for me and let it go do its thing and just do it automatically and like 95 percent of the time maybe that would be fine um so like you, we're getting into that realm of almost Star Trek computer, go do this thing. <laughs> and I was like, on the flip side, like in, in sci-fi, at least in Star Trek sci-fi, you don't usually have this question mark of, oh, it's going to go and forget a parenthesis and, and then come back and say syntax error or go and remove some files <laughs> on your hard drive that you weren't expecting. So there's that, that element of trust. Like what is that threshold? have to be before we can confidently assume that it's actually going to do what I want it to do. Yeah. And one of the, so, you know, just thinking through like the voice, voice commands, for example, and trust, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how long we've been living with Siri at the stage, but it has to have been at least 10 years, if not a bit more mm-hmm. since I it's been so. baked into iOS. And every once in a while I'll be like, you know what, I'll give it another try. And it'll be something that I consider to be simple Yes. It gets misunderstood or I'm on the wrong device or um, it just totally bungles it in some way. And then I'm like, yeah, OK. I, it, to me, that, and that's one of the reasons why I've just never really gotten into voice assistance at all. My, mm-hmm. I mean, my understanding is there are some other ones out there that may be better, but I have other reasons why I'm not putting those in my house. Uh, and so yes. those, you know, for, for me, I think there's there's some level of like how many times 
you know, does <laughs> it's like the what's the old peanut singer like Lucy moves the football every time yes. <laughs> when he tries to when he tries to kick the football. And occasionally I'll do that uh, with 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 Siri and, um, you know, then I'm like, ah, right. This isn't why I use it. So it, it's funny because, like, you know, I, I think at this point, Siri's basically been relegated to setting timers for me, uh, so which true. is handy. But like, you know, it's also like been a massive amount of in, human investment put into what essentially is like set a timer for 30 minutes or something and um, yes okay. uh, handy but maybe maybe not the payoff that I think we were all looking for yeah and that's got to be challenging because I mean at what point do you have to have general AI before you can do some of these things and all the ethical questions that that raises but I thought it was really interesting and thankful that like for warp at least didn't just assume that oh the thing that I give you back I'm just going to go run it at least asked said is this the command you're fine with is this does this meet your requirements and it's like no (laughs) that Hmm. one does not i will not write not that it would have done anything bad it was still a find command piping to grab it probably i mean star js versus star.js you can quibble on the semantics um but um i could imagine worlds where things could be the the return result could be significantly more 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 painful or like to what you were seeing is like now I get an error message and I have never seen this error message before in my life. And how do it's out of context for me. If I were typing that line of code, I might think, oh, yep, I might have missed a parenthesis or something like that. Because unlike you, I do do that frequently. <laughs> so I have seen that error message. Um, but y- you the context or or the, the the history of that information when it is just handed to you is not always easy for you to track back and say, here's why the error message might be happening. Um, so there's definitely some interesting um, challenges to overcome there. It's just so weird to me that it's missing parentheses. Like that has to be part of the training set. <laughs> yeah, it, it's incredibly bizarre. And I'm not sure. There's part of me too that thinks, for example, like it, it may not know that well yet that router.get, um, I mean, I'm not sure if router.get would take a third argument. I remember like, so I wondered, the, yeah. So express arguments again, like, you know, when you're sorry for the router are like any of the HTTP method calls, like get, put, post, delete, and so on. Mm-hmm. Like each one of those at bare minimum will always like w- the, the common pattern, right? Is you're going to pass in a string, which represents the path. And then a second, like anonymous function that takes in arguments of rec, res, and next for your request and your response object. And then optionally your next, um, uh, if you want to kind of, have I'm trying to remember what that's for actually it's like if you want to have it continue on without like closing closing the um, oh yeah yeah closing the call out i think or something like that i, I don't mm-hmm. find i use it that much but either way like those are the two the 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 string and then the anonymous function are the two that um those those methods always take there may be a third one for all i know and maybe that's what copilot was trying to give me space to sort of do and i may have moved fast enough right that uh it might have offered me an option. I don't know. I mean, or it might have interesting. Wanted, it might yeah. have been willing to had I waited there long enough. Uh, but instead, I just kind of hit return and kept moving on because to 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 my brain, that was the end of the call, and I'm not going to be doing anything beyond that. Or somehow it has inferred that you probably wanted to put a parameter in there from some something else it has seen from your writing style or your coding style. And it's like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll do the right thing because surely there's another parameter coming into this. Um, that's the only other reason I can think of is that, yeah, that, and I don't, I'm embarrassed to say, I don't remember the, the signature for um, that express 
uh, method well enough to know does it take a third parameter or not. Yeah, I could probably look it up. I literally have the docs open to it right now, but I'll get so distracted if I start <laughs> digging into it. Plus, like I'm, I'm kind of debating at the moment, um, like whether or not to adopt Express Five. Uh, I, I, mm. it's either so Express Five. I will look that up because it's on their front page. So now, yeah, it's currently in beta. I don't know how long it's been in beta. I think the alpha has been out for a few years at least, and I'm not sure when it went to beta, but I think at this point, it's probably the right time to start kicking the tires on it. And I'm not sure how different it is. I, I've um, I've passed around to folks I know, like a, what I think they, I don't know if it was a migration guide per se, uh, but some kind of like the, there was a list up of like a document they have somewhere that shows the differences between Express 4 and 5. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might be something I want to talk about at some point in the future, but yes. right now all I can tell you is express five exists and I'm kind of like sitting at the precipice going, Hmm, wonder <laughs> if I want to play around with that or not. Uh, but you know, that's kind of not really, uh, how do I say this? Like express itself is not really the focus of what I'm kind of currently playing around with, which, which I guess we could talk about now. Yes. Um, I think that's a good lead in to, to the next topic. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I've been just kind of like wanting to brush up on just playing around with, uh, open AP, like building open API specs mm-hmm. and whatever, you know, kind of digging into the current state of the art around tooling related to open API. So, we, you and I talked about this just a little bit before we hit record, but you know, I think a lot of folks know, um, you know, Open API almost to be synonymous with something called Swagger. As mm-hmm. a matter of fact, Swagger is probably still more kind of the the term of art used more frequently in in kind of like day to day conversation than Open API. Um, I I came across a, a video that I uh, about the history of this stuff and I didn't watch it because like that's just again like I'm trying to build something right now and <laughs> I thought hmm someday I'm gonna Google for that and see if I can like just brush up on it but if I had to guess I assume that like Swagger is like a trademark name by a company and at some point if you know the 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 standard itself people wanted to open source it and then it needed a new name so it's called Open API. Mm-hmm. Forgive me if anyone's listening to this and I'm just totally making things up. Uh, but that's that that's the sense that I got roughly is what happened there. And so at some point, um, the specification was named OpenAPI. Um, and I think specifically when you start with like what can be called Swagger 3.0, I, I mean, like it's like, so there was a Swagger 2.0 and then it's OpenAPI 3.0 and then there's a 3.1 and so on and so forth. Oh, interesting. But yeah. So I, I, you know, it's, it's been a little bit since I've played around with that stuff. And I think at some point like back when you and I were working together on things, there was a time where I was deeper into like sort of swagger land mm-hmm. itself when that transition was still fairly fresh. So, oh, yeah, I remember that vaguely because working on doing some documentation and having swagger as part of that and, and getting it in our documentation site, um, so yeah, definitely heard. So remember that, uh, wow, that's, that's been so long ago though. <laughs> mm-hmm. And at that time I thought of it a lot as like, um, and again, <laughs> I don't know if this is a great analogy or not, but in my mind, the way that I thought about it was like, oh, this feels a lot like Python 2.7 versus Python three mm. and how, there, there was a large period, I, what felt like a long period of time there where people would insist that Python 3.x was the future, yet yep. 
all your Macs came with 2.7 and a lot of the tools hadn't been ported or even if they had like a lot of the information was still on the 2.7 um, version of Python. And yeah. for someone like me, who's like not deep into Python, like that wasn't interesting. That was not an interesting conversation. <laughs> Again, like it was sometimes <laughs> there are things where I find, that I, you know, I, I get it. Like, and there's whole communities behind this. And I understand why this kind of topics are important. Um, but at the same time, there, there are moments where you kind of have to realize uh, you're hacking on something on a Friday or a Saturday and you're just trying to build. And yep. so will you spelunk the history or will you try nope. to figure out which one, which one of these doodads is going to open the jar for me, if you will, you know, yes. like, <laughs> and so that was the path I took with Python. And then back then with Swagger versus open API, I was like, Hmm, this seems like a thing. Um, and that, that was kind of the extent to which I could kind of like play like kind of really think about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, I now I think at this stage, like I th- I think we're at a point now where it just feels like if you're going to do any anything with an Open API spec, like you should be doing it on Open API version three, and yeah. or or three point one, whatever whatever version it's on. I, I've been playing around with three myself, but again, like I'm just kind of getting getting my sea legs, if you will. <laughs> so um, one of the fun things about an Open API spec is like if you kind of think about like it's like a specification and then therefore like there's a lot of flexibility. It's like not actually a a specific technology. So what I I mean by this is that there's a website called, uh, I'll have to find it. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, It's a openapi.tools or tool. I don't remember which one it is, Uh, but it's, it's a place where you can go to see like all the different, all these different kinds of tools for open API. Oh, and there are things nice. that will let you, like you can get like a, a DSL domain specific language for um, creating specs. You can get GUIs for creating specs. You can get these things that like do a mock-up of your server. Some of them will stub your wow. servers. Um, some of them will read over your existing API and then, uh, reverse engineer the spec from that. And so this is a really cool concept, right? Like, I, and for me, like, I'm just thinking I want to play around. And so what I'm going to do is kind of create the spec. Um, and then I'll try to stub out an express server from that and see how much of this can just sort of be auto-generated. Um, that I'll, sounds I'll, fun. It, it's so it sounds fun, right? <laughs> And it, in some ways it is fun, but the, there, there are sort of some caveats on that, which is like, honestly, like right now it feels like the tooling's like kind of in between sort of like what was sort of like mm. a, a, a nexus a few years ago of sort of API, uh, open API centric tooling. And then like, at least for Node, which is the only context I'm using it in right now and where we are at the moment where it feels like there's some more new tools coming along the way, but we're kind of in this middle ground where you might grab a tool and right it doesn't work or you might find a, a documentation or a tutorial and it's kind of like oh this was you know six years ago mm-hmm. um so i've been kind of like noodling around with some things just to play and see like okay what's still out there that you could use and um this by the way is how i ended up <laughs> How I ended up installing Java on my Mac. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, so I, <laughs> I that's, that's fun I, all on and on its own. <laughs> yeah, I never, I, I never feel great when I have to go do that. Uh, but it's weird because, like, so the Java install experience is not the way I remember it when I installed it maybe a year or two ago, mm-hmm. year or two ago on a different Mac. 
Like, I do remember a time in history where I thought you had to go to like Oracle's website, create an account, yeah, sign your life away. It. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you still have to go to Oracle's website and download it, but you, I don't, I didn't have to sign up for anything. So I'm not sure what that uh-huh. was all about. Maybe, maybe it's because I didn't get like the, like the developer tools, whatever I got was just like a package that I installed. And then mm-hmm. these CLIs that I'm trying to use now have a runtime that they can use. Yeah. I wonder if that's not it. Cause I've, I remember, cause I had, I had to do something similar and I don't remember what tool I was doing it with now. It wasn't, um, for, for APIs, but, um, I too came to that realization of, oh shoot, I'm going to have to put Java on this. And for the, anyone who loves Java, I, I am glad that you do. Um, it is not my favorite tool. Um, and it's just like, you know, I don't want to install things that um, I'm not like actively in, u- utilizing. And it was just for this one-off edge case. Um, but yeah, I the, the install experience was much better than it had been in the past where you didn't have to go read this huge terms of use and um, it kind of did its thing and then got out of the way, which I appreciated. Um, I still was kind of a, a little annoyed that I had to go download Java in the first place, though. Yeah, I, I really had the sinking feeling when I was kind of pointed in that direction by the tool. And I I, I did end up like waiting an entire day uh, to, <laughs> to do it because I was just kind of like, I don't know about this. So, um, yeah, like going to at this point, though, like you can go to I said it was Oracle's website. I mean, I guess technically it is. But if you go to Java.com, I'm not this isn't like, hey, go download Java. But if you are trying to do that, like my path today was go to Java.com and then uh, hit download Java. And that was kind of pretty much it. So I didn't click any of the CTAs, the calls to action around like getting the JDK or the Java development kit. And my guess is. That's the thing. I bet that would have required a lot more of like my uh, signing away of rights and who knows what else. <laughs> but it's nice that the that the runtime doesn't seem to require that. And maybe maybe back what I'm thinking of in the past is has a usually it would be the JDK or something like that. So maybe the runtime has been easier, but it doesn't. I don't recall it being easier to install. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and this one was, it's, I mean, the one thing that it, so the install and again, not to belabor this point, but I was just kind of amazed. Like, so you go there and it says download Java for Mac OS, you're getting version eight. And there's this like big yellow box on the page that says important Oracle Java license information that apparently kicked in back in 2019. And um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty sort of, ominous in at least from my perspective i was like geez okay well i guess i'm just putting a dev, like kind of like putting this installing it i'm not doing anything interesting so i'm sure i'm fine in this case but i don't know it's just that seems like a lot just to put a runtime on your machine so anyways why am i doing this right well it's because they're like if you want to do say for example like we, we talked earlier about if you have an open api spec uh-huh and that's typically going to be a YAML file, right? Right. Uh, now, you can apparently you can do it in JSON as well, but um, I don't know why I just went with YAML, uh, and because uh, it just seems to be like the way people do it. Seems so to be like, the happy path. Yeah, it's fine. Whatever. It's a few less curly brackets, although now it's white space errors I have to deal with. But <laughs> true. Uh, but in in VS Code, it's fine. I mean, like you can it'll it'll help you out with that. So. Uh, 
there, so I, I went to, you know, if you have a spec, right. So let's say for example, like I'll just have a quick look at the one that I wrote. It's just like, you know, it's going to do a path, uh, like a, you're, you're going to have like a top level object where it's like uh-huh. a paths object. And inside of that, you put all of your routes. So right. let's say for example, like you were going to do, um, like a to-do application, which is a pretty common scenario mm-hmm. for, for learning a new technology. Like if you wanted to get all the to-dos from the server, you would have like a top level paths object or property, which is an object. The next down, the next part, uh, property, the first property inside of that object is going to be like a slash to-dos. Yep. And then the first property inside of that object is going to be like your HTTP verb. So right. HTTP verb. So like it's paths dot to-dos dot get mm-hmm. and then inside of that you describe like how that um particular api call would work you give it a description talk about all the responses that that might come out of it so the responses are like your 200 your 201 your 404 whatever it might be uh and you can even talk about what kind of pay- response payload is going to come back so um that's actually quite different than um how swagger was structured so you- you'd think like for for anyone that was planning on upgrading from a a Swagger 2.0 spec, mm-hmm. like there would be some reworking required to get oh, really? that in, yeah, in its right place. And I, I don't quite remember how the Swagger works, but it was sort of inverted in some way uh, from that pattern. But anyways, that's how this works. So mm-hmm. great. Now you want to be able to feed this spec to something that will read it in and then spit out an API server, a stubbed API server on the other side of it, right? right. And so that that seems like it would be a fairly common pattern. Um, however, and, and I think it is, but the the node tooling that I've been able to find feels like it's sort of in this in-between space of history hmm. where um, maybe if you were doing this with Swagger 2.0 some number of years ago, like there was a, a lot of robust tooling built around it. Um, and in OpenAPI 3 land, um, it seems like a lot of it's still kind of in the works. And um, I kept feeling like I was going down a few different paths that weren't totally um, getting me where I wanted to go. What I did find that felt promising and I need to do a bit more um, kind of exploration is there's a couple of things. The first one that I found is called, um, oh man, now I'm not going to find the tab here. Here we go. The perennial Uh, problem of too many tabs open. Oh, you just, yeah. I mean, you can imagine, you definitely can imagine what my tabs look like right now. Cause it was one of these things where, again, I went to openapi.tools and then I was like, oh, all, based on description, I just h- held down the command button and kept like opening up new tabs. I was like, I'm just going to go through <laughs> these one by one and try to figure out which one's the one I want. Uh, so let's see here. Uh, the one that I ended up using was called, oh man, I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. <laughs> So there was one called like open API generator or something like that. I'm not finding it now. Um, oh, interesting. So I'll, I'll come back to that one in just a second. Cause I think I'll, Oh, here we go. Yeah. That, that is actually what it's called. So it's called open API dash generator dot tech. That's the one that, uh, and for all I know, some of the other ones require Java under the hood, but that was the first one that I needed to run. Um, that would do that. And their, their Node.js and Express uh, server generator is marked as being under beta right now. So, mm. I'm not, you know, I, I, I tried that one and played around with it for a minute. It seems like it was off to a solid start. 
Um, if I remember correctly, though, the readme that it generates definitely noted some places that are still sort of like in feedback mode. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, for, for whatever it's worth, I mean, either way, like a little scaffolding helps never a bad thing because ultimately right. you're the one that's under, you, you, as the developer, you can control like what actually goes in and what doesn't. So that one seemed interesting. And it like open API generator has generators for seemingly everything under the sun. And cool. it's, yeah, like, I just saw that list. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> there you can go in, <laughs> you can go in and they actually have, they have a command that's like, I, I don't, it was like a list command. So it's like open, open API generator dash CLI um, list. Or, and then it lists like all of the possible generators. And it, it, I don't even think it like does a carriage return after them. It's just like, here's a big sort of blob oh of text. And it was, it was so big. I was like, wow. Um, so it's definitely a hefty tool. Um, it's one I would keep my eye on and intend to do so. Wow. The other one that I ended up uh, trying as well is called uh, Swagger Code Gen. So this is made by, um, I, again, like how the company structure and all of that works with Swagger and OpenAPI. I don't know. There's a company in the mix called Smart Bear that seems to um, sponsor a lot of the stuff. So um, either way, they have a tool called Swagger Dash Code Gen, and it does the same mm. thing. You feed it a Open API spec, and out pops, you know, uh, some kind of uh, code base. And I think in their case, if I remember correctly, I'm not totally certain if that one supported Express. By name, it doesn't. I do remember that much because it was like they'll yeah. give you. Let me see here. There's several in that list that I see, but I don't see Express directly named. No, they have Node.js. And that, and I'm just having a look at what was generated from that real quick to see. Hmm. Yeah, Node.js. I mean, Node.js could mean vanilla Node.js, which I'm assuming is probably what it's talking about. Um, but there's so many options on, in the Node.js ecosystem that that isn't terribly, um, doesn't tell me a lot. Yeah, I must have removed that. But yeah, that that was the whole thing. So I kind of spent a little bit just looking at that, thinking, hmm, is this going to end up meeting my needs or not? And, you know, I, I think that one, one of the tricks about something like using Node and Express is that they're, they're both so incredibly unopinionated. And that sure is a double-edged sword. Um, in other words, <laughs> so mm-hmm. look, I, I was reading today or was it last night about, there was like a hacker news thread on, you know, someone bemoaning, you know, how complicated web development has yes, gotten I saw over that. the last 12 years. I, I certainly have been one of those people too. I remember like right around the time, like react yep. going to like version 6.8. I remember g- complaining to you at length, like over a coffee. Oh, I was yes. like, why is like react? So like, I mean, I, I'm not anti-react or react or pro-react or whatever. It's just like, it is what it is. But it felt like at the time, it was just like, in order to get started with this sort of like, they were moving away from classes at the time and moving into, yep. what do they call them? Hooks? Uh, hooks, yep. Yeah. And and I don't know, just to get like the basic sort of like setup going, it just felt like it was sometimes, I don't know, a shotgun to kill a fly kind of thing. Um, but <laughs> I'm sure that like, obviously there's good uses for this kind of stuff. I I don't. I don't question that. It's just really when it comes down to like, sometimes the tools feel a little bit like a little bit much, you know? And so anyways, I, um, <laughs> I, I have this kind of this, this, this idea in the back of my head of, you know, like 
like you were talking about how many uh, generators that these things could do for us. Like it's almost this theory of like, you know, all these tools at some point become, have so many things added to them that, that, you know, they become like the, the Uber Omni tool or whatever. And like that, all of them are, are ultimately going, going down that same path. Cause then you have to add filtering to list out, you know, search all these things that you're capable of and crud operations and all these other things. It feels like there's this common kind of nexus point that all these tools, if you keep adding to eventually run into, Mm -hmm. who knows if that's actually true or not, but there. I it just this there, there's something in the back of my mind like in 2000 years 2000 years is a long way away but you know in in a few <laughs> in several years like in in the future you have all of these tools and and they all are doing similar things but they have slightly very different variations to the interface and it's but it's all the same underneath the hood oh and that that is so much like i i mean especially that expression of like it the sort of how they get surfaced to you let's say and as the developer can be so different when, when you have unopinionated mm-hmm. frameworks like node and, and uh, express is just one example. W- what that can mean is it makes it tough to build like these scaffolding tools in the first place. Right. And that's probably why they're slower to come out than some of the others. So yeah. let's say like that hacker news um, thread I was mentioning, like there were a bunch of folks that jump in and say, you know, rails was like my happy moment for <laughs> development and yeah. and there's someone else that was saying the same thing about php and some mm-hmm. framework maybe it's laravel or something but like there's like in in those kinds of frameworks there's my understanding is that there's often like one right way to do it and one well-established way to do it whereas in in node it's kind of like you sort of are always making it up as you go and so like whose so scaffolding true. tool is the one you want to use well right. i mean like i i got today like it's it's interesting because as soon as i ran both of those tools they spit out kind of like oddly similar code bases which was interesting because like they were also things that i felt were like almost like they must have been like looking over each other while taking the <laughs> test kind of thing um like they're they're very <laughs> similar i don't know if they came from the same person or the same place but there were there were immediately things where i was kind of like hmm, I'm, i feel like i'd probably want to rip some of this out and restructure it if i mm-hmm. were to go down this path so anyways uh with Kind of that that's kind of the place that I'm at at the moment with the open open API 3.0 um, kind of experimentation is just um, it's less about say writing the spec although that's certainly interesting and there's there's some really cool things uh, inside that you can do uh, but it's also like the surrounding tooling like can mm-hmm. you get to this platonic ideal of like I have a spec and that's the source of truth for the API surface the server gets stubbed out based on that spec. And uh, somehow we can keep stubbing it over and over again without overriding the business logic, you know, so that would be like a tool that needs to exist. Right. I haven't seen it yet. The other one, of course, that is pretty obvious, I think, to people that have done this is the documentation, right? Yeah. Like writes itself as you go. Ugh, or, wouldn't well, that be nice? I mean, some of it can, um, but then you also get like that kind of like environment where you get to play around with the endpoints. So, Which is super cool. And the last thing I'll mention on this, this whole open API thing for now is because I'm just throwing out a bunch of things, you know, kind of thinking through tab by tab over my last few days here of playing around with it. But, uh, okay, so there was a time where you might say, for example, get a tool from the Swagger company, whatever that was or is, and 
they you as you're building out your spec it's got you've got a browser window open and it's giving you that standard sort of like swagger layout that shows you all the endpoints that you can yeah. click on and it'll show you what the responses are and actually let you try it out mm-hmm. so i don't know if that same type of tooling exists today i haven't actually been able to find it yet uh but what i uh, what i in terms of the standalone kind of like I edit over here in my code base, the, the YAML file, the spec file, and over here in the browser, I see it live update. Right. However, I found this, <laughs> I found a VS code plugin that does exactly this. And it's, uh, it's really, really good. Um, I, I mean, just, it's interesting because like VS code plugins, you can never quite tell a lot of them are built by like individual contributors you've never heard of. And it's kind of hard to know, at least from from when I'm looking at it, like, is this actually something um, that that I could rely on? Right. But so far, this thing has been absolutely bulletproof. It's called uh, Swagger Viewer. It's currently on version 3.1.2. It's made by a contributor named Arjun G. And it's on the VS Code Marketplace. Uh, but Four stars. Four stars out of 29. So I'd say like in general, like that's not a lot of people that have rated it. I should go in and give it some stars because I just, I haven't seen any issues with it yet. But what it does is remember how I was describing like YAML file to Mm -hmm. one side, browser to the other. Now imagine if that was just a split view in VS code and um, the, because it's all in VS code, like it's able to, like the preview is able to react to you typing in real time. Which to me, there's nothing, there's nothing better in terms of that, that feedback loop and that rapid iteration than just being able to see your changes reflected immediately. And you know, right off the bat, if you've done something silly or wrong because the formatting goes horribly array or uh, awry or what have you. Um, but it also is interesting. Like that's also the immediate, the, um, um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I am loath to to go outside the tool. So like if I'm sitting in VS Code and I am coding, like, please don't make me open up another app. Let me stay inside of VS Code so that I can that I'm not going to lose my place in terms of my mental palace of uh, of what I'm working on. And in some ways, this feels like a perfect way to plug into that. And I wonder if that's a a a. a um, a common theme over that's only going to get more and more over the future is, is being able to use those tools inside the environment that I'm doing these coding rather than maybe that's why there aren't a lot of solutions for that on the browser. Yeah, I, I bet it is. I mean, I, I think that web development uniquely requires a lot more windows than when I've done say mobile development. <laughs> now mobile developers may have things going on. I don't know about, and they may disagree. But I, I know when I've done stuff for like iOS or whatever, um, I open up Xcode and between that and uh, an emulator, that's kind of everything I'm working on at that yeah. at the moment. Mm-hmm. And, and whereas with web development, it's like, oh God, you got a terminal or five terminals open. Um, you've got your different files that you're working on. You've, you know, and they, you know, oftentimes, especially in JavaScript land, shorter files are encouraged. Um, and then you've got like different types of tooling and previews and test running and all this other kind of thing. And it, it just results in this juggling of uh, windows that is kind of like part of the trade almost. But yes. the more you think about it, like, yeah, that now that you've said it that way, like I think, oh, yeah, well, that, that's 
very much VS Code, isn't it? Like you mm-hmm. you go in, um, you know, VS Code wasn't the first to integrate a terminal into the IDE, but they do it extremely well um, alongside all of these, this plethora of uh, plugins that people can build, like in this case, this guy Arjun G, uh, who made what feels like sort of the de facto like live swag reviewer inside of VS Code. And like, that's, that's really neat. Um, so I don't know, like, uh, that's kind of where I am on my, my journey anyways, for the playing around with open API uh, 3.0 at the moment. Uh, again, it's really just kind of trying to see for Node.js and uh, on the other side of this for documentation as well, like, what's the tool set out there? Mm-hmm. What's like the current state of affairs? Like what are people kind of, you know, thinking through and uh, you know, at the same time, I guess the last part, of, you know, we start and end this with a little bit of chat about AI features. I mean, don't <laughs> sleep on GitHub. a trend. <laughs> yeah. Don't sleep on GitHub copilot while you're doing this stuff. I mean, honestly, again, you can't, I noticed when, um, when you're writing the YAML file for your spec, you, mm-hmm. you can't totally, I mean, well, I mean, it can't imagine your way, its way into whatever's in your mind about the API you're trying to create. But at the same time, once it starts to see the pattern, like it, it can really help. Um, so it, you know, they're writing a YAML file is for an open API spec gets really big and yeah. it's tough to put it all into your head at once. And you're kind of like, they, they have these reusable component section in the object that you can do now, which is super helpful. Uh, but at the same time, like, you know, it's like, all right, so I've just made like a new, a new path in their parlance, right? Like a new endpoint. And now mm-hmm. I need to figure out what, what verbs I'm going to support. And a lot of that stuff gets pretty repetitive. So like, yeah, um, Copilot can really help out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is which is cool because um, especially when it can learn from the patterns in terms of how you're doing thing and just be able to reuse those. That's that's really slick. It does kind of remind me I was having like just just some of the spooky um, and, and spooky is not quite the right word, but hey, it's October. Um, the 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 kind of um, almost slightly spooky level of of intelligence uh, or or what have you. Of where you could imagine why people might imagine that these things are more self-aware than 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 the algorithms that they are. Um, there's this website out there called Character.ai, and uh, you give it a prompt, and it will use. I think it's using. I, I don't. I don't know which models it's using, but um, it will use that to let you talk to it like a like a bot, and it will give back startlingly coherent answers. And just because I am, this is, this, this has been my world. I, I, I created a character about, this is a person who is a product manager who is building extensibility into products. I just wanted to see this, the, the, the thing that, it, that it would spit out. And I casually mentioned Photoshop in there and like the conversation flow is really back and forth. It's, it's, it like, if I didn't know what I, that there wasn't another person on the other end and that there were occasionally some things like off by one errors, like, uh, one of the questions I asked it, it said, um, there's three reasons why blah, 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 blah. And it only listed two. It's like, okay, um, <laughs> it, it's got a short memory. Um, but I've done that in the past too, right? So no biggie there. But um, it started talking about, because I had just had the keyword of Photoshop in the prompt, it started pulling things out of Photoshop extensibility. And it's like, it was remarkably prescient of, like, I don't know what its model was based on, but it's like, man, it's like, 
it, you, you could almost imagine it slightly reading your mind. <laughs> yeah, the it's interesting you use the word spooky. So I, I was listening to, um, I'm a subscriber to something called Stratechery, um, mm, which mm-hmm. is like a, a newsletter and uh, recorded like uh, podcast by uh, this guy, Ben Thompson. Um, and he does like a lot of just kind of general industry kind of deep industry analysis on, on different aspects of tech. Uh, and just did, he just did like this interview with Daniel Gross and Nat Friedman last week, uh, who, and I, I can't remember their full sort of like, um, CVs exactly, but like one of them was like CEO of GitHub for a while after they were acquired. Oh, wow. yeah. Uh, and, um, also I believe ex CEO of Xamarin before they were requ- acquired into Microsoft. And then one of them was like working on uh, machine learning stuff at Apple for a long time. And um, I, I remember like one of them kind of mentioned like with the kind of where AI is at the moment, like it's either spooky or it's kooky. And I thought like, oh, wow, that's like a really great way to sum up some of the stuff that, that I've seen over time as well. Um, that's like, you know, kind of like eerily on the nose with what you needed or sometimes it's just like so off in the left field it's like what was this <laughs> it's like how in the world did it get there and like now you're starting to get into you know the ghost in the machine i guess when when github copilot starts populating get uh ghost emojis in the code that it's writing that's when that's when you know it's properly figured out when to be spooky in october mm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it feels like a good place to stop for now. We've, uh, you know, we've got a whole month of October to get more into spooky AI stuff. And I I feel like, yeah, it's interesting, right? Because I think up until this last little bit, um, that didn't factor into our conversations as much in the past. But these days, it's like every tool that we touch upon is going to have some sort of smarts baked into it that Mm -hmm. are... um, useful maybe for the first time ever you know like right. uh, where it's like sometimes i think there was a, a long path to you know people saying people saying they were building ai or like adding ai features and it was sort of like uh, i don't know about this feels like a lot of if else and kind of like exactly like force kind of thing <laughs> it'll is... only work in this particular very specific edge case and then it'll fall apart and yet today man yeah, it's 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 wild, and I think it's really cool that um, maybe maybe not maybe natural sort of part of the history, but like that it's hitting developer tools in such an awesome way mm-hmm. is really fun. Uh, it yes. turns into interesting fodder for our conversations <laughs> on this podcast. It does <laughs> so very very true. I am sure it will come up very very many more times. <laughs> All right, well, Carrie. Until then, uh, it was nice chatting with you again today. Likewise. And uh, yeah, I'll talk to you next time. In the meantime, I'd rather be scripting. Thanks for listening to this episode of I'd Rather Be Scripting. If you love scripting, terminals, Z shell, JavaScript development, and other random technology tangents as much as we do, we'd love to hear from you. You can always leave a review on your preferred podcasting platform, or you can reach out to us via the social links on our website, I'dRatherBeScripting.com. Until next time, I'd rather be scripting.